So when we launched, we just really had no idea what was going to be the most interesting for people. And, and, and clearly people learning about themselves and finding connections um, has been overwhelmingly popular and exciting for people. And, and I think in part, it taps into all of those human emotions of like how you're connected to the rest of the world around you and um, finding connections and like the secrets of the past, like the intrigue that you get with these secrets from the past. Like, there's no such thing anymore as a secret going to the grave. Welcome back. I'm your host, Anu Dougal, and this is The 2%, a podcast highlighting women who are breaking barriers and building the businesses of the future. I'm super excited to tell you more about today's guest, Anne Wajiki, founder and CEO of 23andMe. I assume most of our listeners are familiar with 23andMe, but in case you have been living under a rock, 23andMe is the first and only genetic service available directly to consumers that includes reports that meet FDA standards. Anne is widely recognized as a pioneer in digital healthcare with her success in creating the first direct-to-consumer at-home genetic testing product. To date, she has raised over $750 million in venture capital funding and counts more than 10 million Americans in her customer base. In today's episode, Anne and I discuss the mission and vision behind 23andMe, what was her founding journey like, and her experience overcoming some pretty huge obstacles along the way as well as some pretty significant attitude shifts in the medical community. I'm beyond excited to share this conversation with such an inspirational and amazing leader. So let's get right into it. Okay, great. And so great to have you on here today. Um, let's start with uh, where we're finding you. I know you mentioned you're in Los Altos. Um, how's everything going? It's good. I'm at home in Los Altos. We are... Um you know, surviving pandemics and fires and um, school just also started. Oh, wow. And still trying to work. So, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's so, um, yeah, the fires kind of put everything over the edge of, you know, you're, you already can't, you can't see people. You, <laughs> you're, you're living a bit in a state of fear. And then I realized like, wow, I have no evacuation plan. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it was quite smoky and my one-year-old was, you know, banging on the window wanting to go outside. So <sighs> it's, a, it's a whole new world of yeah. uh, uh, crazy happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's heartbreaking. Um, well, I guess to kick things off, um, would love to start with a description of, of 23ME. I think most of our, our listeners, um, are familiar, but for those who aren't, um, how would you best describe the product? 23ME is a genetic test that tells you all about you. And we've always looked at it very holistically. Like it's not a health test. It's not an ancestry test. It really gives you insights into you. And the two areas that, that you do learn the most are on your ancestry composition. So where is it that you are from? Um, there's a feature also that connects you to other genetic relatives. Um, and then we have an incredibly comprehensive set of health reports that tell you um, a lot about yourself, um, uh, you know, specifically like some aspects of traits and eye color and hair color. Um, to more serious conditions and cancer or other conditions where 
um, we have found over the last decade that people really are able to take action and um, prevent disease. Incredible. Um, So I guess to maybe take a step back, I know that you grew up in an incredibly academic environment. Um, Your father was the chair of the physics department at Stanford, and your mother's a renowned journalism teacher. Mm -hmm. While at Yale, you studied biology, imagining you might be a doctor one day. Mm -hmm. Um, Where and what was really the inspiration for you starting um, 23andMe? You were such an early I would say visionary in um, in the concept and, and execution. What was the inspiration? I'd say the inspiration for starting it. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I I I look at all the experience I had in my life, and I feel like it all adds up. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was sort of at that moment of when we wanted to start Twenty Three Me that I I was able to leverage all the different experiences sure. I had so from my childhood to my working experience. Um, but it was actually really the experiences I had investing in the healthcare world mm-hmm. that made me understand that the healthcare world is really not, um, it's not consumer centric. Sure. And it's a B2B world. It's not, it's not focused, you know, the customer, you, all of us, we are not really the end customer. Mm-hmm. And um, what the whole healthcare ecosystem was focused on was not necessarily in my best interest. And fundamentally, I want to be healthy. Like I want sure. to never go to the healthcare yes. world. And I found that the healthcare world is actually really just incentivized, um, not necessarily to keep you out, but just yeah. like to treat you once you come in. And 23andMe really came out of, um, you know, years of frustration of working in you know, seeing healthcare investments and realizing that um, I, I wanted, so, you know, a radical change. Yep. And um, I was close with the HIV community in the late 90s and saw really the activism that they had and the difference, you know, and I look at Project Inform and, um, you know, all the various, like all the various HIV um, groups that were out there, they rallied together, they came together and they, um, you know, wanted information directly and they demanded change. Yep. And that was exactly what 23andMe, um, you know, when we decided to start, it was, you know, how do we leverage that same kind of spirit um, to make a difference in all diseases? That's amazing. So, I mean, I guess here we are in 2020 where genetic testing is now considered, you know, fairly normal. Um, I believe according to recent stats, over 26 million people worldwide have taken a genetic test. I can imagine, you know, starting 23andMe, um, I believe it was in 2006, this Mm -hmm. was very much a novelty. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, even marketing this product um, direct to consumer was was probably challenging. How how did you go about that um, in the early days? How did you convince people... Um, that their genetic information could could be useful. Um, that is a great question, and I would say that was probably the area um, that we overlooked the most when Twenty Three Me started. And, and actually, I, I wouldn't change anything. But when Twenty Three Me started, um, it was like we recognized that we had um, the most important thing we need to do was to cultivate our scientific credibility because what we were doing was so new mm-hmm. and that giving genetic information directly to individuals, um, it was incredibly sensitive. Like it's your genetic information. It's your, it's your, 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 your makeup and that we needed to make sure that, um, you know, we did a, 
um, that we had the scientific credibility. Sure. So the, the, the team that was there was mostly scientists. And, um, and I would say when we launched, we first had roughly a thousand, you know, the first day we launched, we sold a thousand kits mm-hmm. and we were super excited. And then after that, it kind of trickled down to 10 to 15 <laughs> kits a day. Yeah. And, um, and frankly, we, it was tough. Yeah. Like there wasn't an obvious immediate reason why people were saying like, oh, I need my genetic information. Sure. And, um, and that uh, was, was definitely hard. And I think that's part of what we learned over time is that like helping people understand what are the types of things that you are going to learn from it and what is it that is appealing and that, you know, you have to convince people that you, yep. they can trust you. So all of that really took time. And I think that you know, there's a lot of books written about inflection points. And mm-hmm. I think at some point we got to critical mass where, um, you know, we have a saying in house where you took the weird and you made it wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we were able to eventually get people to realize like there's something really wonderful about learning about your DNA and it's not, it's not weird. Yep. That's amazing. Would you say that um, press was helpful um, in those early days? I think that, um, I mean, press press was fine. Yeah, I think press like I wouldn't say that. I mean, press is definitely uh, part of the marketing strategy mm-hmm. and getting accurate press and having good, you know, the right types of stories. Like we definitely um, we wanted to get the experience out there, and I think yeah. that that was like some of the best stories that we had. Is like those, you know, like the one of our launch pieces was a New York Times front page above the fold wow. article. Um, and it was a, by Amy Harmon and it was actually a first person account of like, I've gotten my genome for the first time. And, and I think press was definitely really helpful there at the same time. Press often wants to be sensational. Of course. Yeah. wants to talk about like, Oh, you know, like the, the fears and sure. like the misuse. So it's, it's a fine line. And yeah. I think frankly, one of the things that's happened is, you know, word of mouth, 23 is a very viral product. Absolutely. And word of mouth. And as people talk about their experiences and what they've learned, that inspires people. And so, you know, anytime someone's building out, I think a new product that's totally in a new area, one of the most important things is just getting people to use it. And actually that also really benefited 23 Me because then, then I got that user experience and I, we could iterate on the product from there. Yeah, no, that's great. So, I mean, I think at home testing has now become more and more common. Um, and I think, you know, from a medical community perspective, um, it can be tricky because, you know, you're now um, giving control to to patients in some sense. Um, they have access to their data. Have you, have you seen a shift in attitude? I can imagine in the early days, um, there was probably some hesitancy and, and now it's, you know, quote unquote, the norm. Um, how have those attitudes shifted? If any. Uh, I think it's, um, I mean, when we started, it was remarkable. Um, the, the, you know, the passion, the negative feelings around us. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say the medical world um, definitely reacted to yeah. us being an at-home, you know, a direct, it's not even at-home, direct-to-consumer. Yeah. And I think one thing that I learned from my investing world and investing in other countries was that if you really want healthcare to scale, you have to be direct to consumer. But putting everything through a medical professional um, creates a lot of costs and also impedes access. And part of the mission of 23andMe was really about enabling access to genetic information. So 
in those early days, like I said, there was like really a lot of controversy and we had meetings where we were, you know, pretty much literally chased out, like told that we were not welcome. Yeah. Um, And so over time, the thing that's about scientists and, and again, to companies, like one of the main things I've learned with 23andMe is, is patience. And that over time, if you keep, if you focus on building your reputation long-term, um, you eventually can change people. And the way scientists think is they think in data. Yeah. And so, again, going back to sort of the initial questions you asked about marketing and getting, you know, adoption, like the most important thing for us was our scientific reputation. And the way that we started to convince doctors was by building up a body of data that supported what we were doing. And, you know, physicians would come to us and say, oh, you cause harm. And we were then able to say, like, I actually now, like, I actually have data to show we don't. <laughs> right. And data now to show that we actually have, you know, benefits. And having now gone through the process with the FDA, we have lots of data that shows, like, people can actually understand this and they can get it without, you know, a medical professional oversight. So over time, it changed. But it's it's one of the things I learned is just how how much data and, and how hard it is sometimes to change those opinions. Yeah. But they absolutely can be changed. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's incredible. Um, so, you know, going back to an earlier point you made, a close friend of mine uh, recently found out that his grandfather was not who he thought he was. Um, and that happened through, you know, his um, DNA testing experience. I'm sure you've seen, you know, a ton of these cases. Um, I'd love to hear just kind of interesting ways in which um, consumers have have used their results of of DNA testing. Any any interesting stories? Um, bringing together, you know, long lost family members, solving crimes, things like that. I remember the first time we um, ha- we had our DNA relatives product, and it was like the first time we connected a brother and sister together. Wow! And it was so. Um, like it was, it was so overwhelming, like within the company, like the idea that like we successfully were able to connect these people together. Um, and in some ways now we, I get a story almost every day. Wow. And, and I think one thing that I've, I've realized everyone has a story. Yeah. And if you don't have one yet, just wait. Um, so even me, like I, I, like, I didn't have, I didn't have a story. And then, um, you know, we discovered that I actually have a first cousin that I didn't know about. Right. Um, and, and so everyone like life is complicated. There's all kinds of, you know, we've had all kinds of movements in our past and, um, relationships are complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that the, the biggest changes, uh, or the biggest impacts I find is, is actually on that sense of identity for people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I think surprises people the most is when they believe that they have a, that they're from a certain country of origin and then they find out that they actually are not. Yeah. And those are the types of things is people who find that they have Jewish ancestry and they didn't know yeah. about or native American or African ancestry. And that sometimes the, what you look like, so your phenotype does not always match what your genetics are. And, right. and that, I think, is actually one of the most interesting um, aspects of, of what we do, is that we mm-hmm. essentially show you what's like truly inside, and it's not always easy to see from the outside. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm sure just uncovering um, history, um, I mean, that's, that's part of what you're doing as well, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, I think one of the things that impresses me the most about you and, and what you've done with 23andMe is your vision and really kind of changing an industry um, to your point about, you know, giving consumers access to information. And I can imagine, you know, as you talked about it, it wasn't easy. Um, what would you say was your most unexpected challenge um, in building 23andMe? I would say that something you touched on before, I would say that the the resistance from the medical world um, probably surprised me. I expected it, but I did not expect it to be um, as challenging as it was. Yeah. And, and I think that's where, um, you know, adoption, like there's things like, for instance, 23andMe just got a pharmacogenetics um, FDA authorization. So, um, um, you know, pharmacogenetics is really important and it tells you essentially whether or not there's something in your DNA where you are, you know, need a lower dose of a medication or a mm-hmm. higher dose or, um, or that you're not likely to, you know, you're likely to have an adverse event. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is not, these discoveries have been out there for a while. Right. And, um, you know, in some ways, doctors never been broad physician adoption of these types of tests. And, you know, I love it when, when people hear about the new label and they're like, oh my God, this is, am- this is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. why, like, why isn't this standard of care? Yeah. And, and in some ways it's, it's just emblematic of like, sometimes it's really hard to um, get practice of medicine to change. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think changing, getting direct to consumer as that partnership and getting some of the preventative medical information that we surface, getting that accepted by the medical world has just been more of a challenge probably than I ever expected. Yeah. No, I can, I can only imagine. Um, you know, I think, um, you mentioned obviously genealogy, um, which I think is definitely one of the defining trends of, of the decade. Um, was genealogy ever part of kind of your original plan with 23andMe? Um, or was it more of an evolution of, of kind of what the consumers were, were looking for? I think it was, it was always, um, it was always part of something that we, we planned. So yeah. the, one of our earliest scientists is a woman named Joanna Mountain, who's a professor of, at Stanford um, with, with that background of ancestry, genetic ancestry type of background. Um, and we always thought that understanding your connections to other people and your connections to the world and where you're from in the past would be really interesting for people. And I think we just, um, we didn't know, like when we launched the company, we didn't do like in some ways market research is, is, you know, it's, it can be helpful, but it's, it's like, there's nothing like real data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we launched, we just really had no idea what was going to be the most interesting for people. And, and, and clearly people learning about themselves and finding connections um, has been overwhelmingly popular and exciting for people. Yeah. And, and I think in part, it taps into all of those human emotions of like how you're connected to the rest of the world around you and, um, finding connections and like the secrets of the past, like the intrigue yeah. that you get with these secrets from the past. Yeah. Like, there's no such thing anymore as a secret going to the grave. Yeah. Yeah. Like it all, it's, <laughs> it's all coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that has really, um, you know, been, been incredibly popular for people. I think the, the number one area that I never expected to get into 
is the conversation on race. And I think that's been the biggest surprise for me that we are really smack in the center of what is the definition of race. Yeah. And and that actually, like, frankly, with the, with everything going on in the world, that's pretty exciting for us. Yeah. Um, because I think that we can have a really positive influence. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and I can imagine uh, religion as well is probably not one that, you know, you kind of foresaw, um, being. Oh yeah, I I loved. I went to. Um, I'm Jewish, and I went to my my former rabbi went to invited me to speak at the um, annual meeting of Reform rabbis, uh-huh. and this was I don't know, I mean, seven eight years ago, and I remember showing up with like a bunch of our printouts and saying, <laughs> like, listen, like one of the most popular questions is, am I Jewish? Yeah, and you know, so what is the definition of Jewish? And, and like, what if I'm 10% Jewish, you know, 30% Texan Jewish. And I have these, these poor rabbis, like had their eyes wide open. Like, like, what do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that's where there are really interesting questions about what's the definition of your identity and how does that match with how you were raised versus what is your, in your DNA. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, along those lines, I believe, um, you know, 23andMe has obviously worked closely with the FDA um, to get clearance um, to to kind of sell these genetic health reports directly to consumers. And I can imagine that to a certain degree, you were you were really setting standards in this space um, as a market leader and kind of being the first to market as well. Um, how have you seen kind of the industry evolve? Because, you know, to your earlier point, I can imagine that situations have come about that we've never faced before. Um, and so, you know, how, how has that kind of standard of what is accepted and normal evolved over time? You know, I think the, the, the process of working with the FDA, um, you know, a, like one of the things I'm most proud of is that when we got our warning letter back in 2013, there was skepticism about the accuracy of what 23andMe was doing, as well as the potential, the capabilities of the individual. And what I'm most proud of is that I feel like we really de- um, defended the integrity of all of us, like mm-hmm. us, the individual, that you're more capable than what any physician or, or you know, what, what the industry thinks you're capable of. Yep. And so proving out that genetic information could be direct to consumer, I think is one of the most important legacies of this company. Mm-hmm. And in pioneering the entire like direct to consumer healthcare world. Yeah. Um, so I think that that um, is, you know, and we set with the FDA, it's an incredibly high bar. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard to meet those standards. Yeah. And I think what you've seen is there's a lot of other companies that are interested in this area, but they've taken the shortcut, which is the laboratory developed test route where they don't have to meet FDA standards and you can put a physician in front of it and they've kind of figured out like they can circumvent the system. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, you, you have more variable quality. Right. And I, you started to see that with some of the COVID-19 testing, like you can get really variable quality and without sort of the FDA standards, um, you know, you, you're not 100% sure what you're getting. Sure. So I think with the FDA, we've been able to really set that standard of, you know, this is, um, this is the information, this is what, um, you know, how people can understand it, and this is the accuracy. Sure. No, that's amazing. And, and to your point, I mean, I think um, now more than ever, um, the variability part of it is, is something that consumers need to be concerned about and, and really kind of dig deeper into. Right. Um, 
you know, and, and, and I think, you know, your, your point around direct to consumer is also interesting because I think what you've done has really paved the way, um, for so much consumerization in the healthcare industry. I know that, you know, even for us in our portfolio, whether it's, you know, Maven Clinic, Real, um, Tempest, I mean, there's, there's so many areas in which I think that, um, you know, the, there needs to be a, a more care forward approach, um, to, to building a business. So, um, so I think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's always fascinating to me how much the consumer is not considered yes. in, in, in the plan. Yeah. And, and I think because of that, like if you go to the doctor's office or a blood draw or like how you even get your medications, it's an awful experience. Yeah. No consumer company would ever yes. like, function this way. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so crazy. And I think that's because like you technically don't really have a voice. You don't yes. pay the bills. Yeah. So yeah. no one genuinely really cares about yeah. your input. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's changing, but I think um, I think that there's you know definitely a ways to go. So well, the exciting thing with COVID nineteen, frankly, is that it's totally changed. Like you have to have at home. Yeah, you know, and I think like the best thing, the the to me like the outstanding shining silver lining in COVID nineteen is that it is forcing digital care adoption. Yep, and and it shows how much you can actually get done at home. And how much you don't need to come in. Yes. And I think there's yeah. a really exciting world that's coming with that. Yeah. And just the inefficiency of, of you know, the, the existing system. <laughs> yeah. 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 I find it really interesting if you look at the, again, also aspect, slight tangent, but the numbers, like how hospitals are just losing, hemorrhaging cash. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you also have integrated systems like Kaiser Permanente, which is making a ton of money. Yeah. And so it kind of shows, it's very reflective of like the business models. Like mm-hmm. some people really make money when you don't come in and some people really make yes. money when you do come in. Yes. And I think it's, it's part of the reason why I've always had Kaiser Permanente insurance and I've always had private insurance because you get two totally different types of opinions. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's kind of opening up that world um, and making it hopefully more transparent as well. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, one of the exciting things that, that I've seen is that 23andMe is also making moves into a new sector, drug development. Um, mm-hmm. and it obviously makes a lot of sense given, you know, um, the, the genetic research database that you have, mm-hmm. um, you know, drug development is, is obviously a massive industry. Um, how have you thought about disrupting it? Drug discovery, my, so when I was investing, my favorite area to invest in was biotech. Yeah. And, um, and I found it was, it's this industry that is filled with so many great people who really care. Yeah. And frankly, they're slaving away at, you know, biology and the details and so passionate about trying to you know, make a, make an impact on a disease. And yet there's such a high failure rate Yeah, yeah. and most therapies fail mm-hmm. and it's super expensive. And, you know, when I started investing, it was $700 million to make a drug and now it's 2 billion. <laughs> and I used to joke, like, it's the only thing that reminds me of communism, like <laughs> in a communist society. You also brag about like, Oh, you know, we got worse this year. Like, yeah. It's now harder to do what we're doing. And like, there's no other industry where they actively talk about like, oh yeah, it's, we're like, we get worse and worse every year and more, <laughs> more expensive. So I, I feel like, um, you know, 
again, when I was investing at the end of the, my tenure there, we would talk about like, what is it that could potentially really change and have an impact on drug discovery? And while it's not going to solve everything, I think having a really large database mm-hmm. of genetic information mm-hmm. and a community of people that are actively participating in research can really have an impact on the outcomes. Yeah. And there's a fair amount of data right now to say, to sh- support that if you start with human genetic information, you are more likely to be successful. Yep. And, and so part of what I'm trying to do is instead of having nine out of 10 drugs fail, can you have seven out of 10 drugs fail? Mm-hmm. Like that would be a major, you know, leap in productivity. So we are, um, use, you were, you know, we, we give all of the 23andMe customers an opportunity to opt into research. Yeah. I have found, again, part of what I learned with the HIV community and then also these walks, you know, Susan G. Komen, Livestrong, et cetera, people genuinely care. Yeah. And they want to make a difference. And if you have a friend whose child had a disease or you had a condition, like people want to make a difference. And frankly, the research world makes it hard for people to participate in research. Like and running in a clinical trial is not a fun process. Yes. Like you're called a human subject. Yeah. They treat you like a human subject. Yeah. Just read the Henrietta Lacks book. Like it's not a yeah. good experience at all. And what I wanted to do is again, the consumerization of research, like make it actually fun. Yeah. Like tell people, I'm not looking for your money. Like I'm looking for you to contribute in a meaningful way, which is actually your data. Yeah. And so now, you know, 23andMe has over 12 million customers, over 80% of them um, consented for research. And we have this incredible community of people who are actively participating and for things like our COVID-19 study, when we put that out on April 6th, we've got a million people to take that survey. Wow. Like that's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I think what, what you can do then is really um, try to, you know, have a impact on research and discoveries and then eventually drug discovery and um, be able to make it, you know, faster, more efficient, yeah. less costly and, um, you know, the issue that we have right now is 23andMe has so many discoveries mm-hmm. that's going on. It's hard for us to, to prioritize and sure. decide like, exactly what are we going to work on first. first. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I think it's consumerization, but it's also leveraging technology because technology is giving you the ability to actually communicate with these millions of consumers in a way right. that, you know, the medical industry just has never been able to do in, in an efficient manner, which is, um, I think, can can really make it um, just move things in in a manner that has never happened before. Absolutely. I think the thing in healthcare, like if you look at Walmart, Amazon, Target, like they have massive amounts of data. Yeah. And so the reason why like you have in some ways such a great experience there is because they're able to customize it more yeah. and more. And in healthcare, they just don't have that. Yeah. And in pharma, like they also, there's, there's data there but having really large data sets, like we did a study on depression that was over 450,000 people. There's never been studies of that kind of size. And so part of what wow. 23andMe is bringing is massive size and scale. And, and data has changed the whole world, but it hasn't really changed healthcare yet. And I think that's where we're just starting to scratch the surface of what's potential. Yeah, so exciting. So, I mean, I guess along those lines, where, where do you see 23andMe, you know, call it five years from now, given all, all of these advancements, you know, in, in medicine and, and science and technology? 
I think that, um, I think there's two things. First, I think that we finally have hit with over 10 million people. We've hit that critical mass of like, yeah, there's a level of acceptance about indirect to consumer and at home is much more accepted. Plus with COVID, um, frankly, it is, you know, we have this whole digital health world that is really taking off. Yeah. So, um, so I think that there's a whole new world about people, a new system that is parallel to the existing healthcare system. That's about, it's, it's driven by the consumers mm-hmm. more in the consumer's interests. And frankly, the consumer's interest is prevention. Yeah. And most of the healthcare world today still doesn't believe that consumers are willing to actually change their behavior. Right. And I think that's one of the next things for 23andMe is proving out that people are actually capable of changing their behavior. Mm-hmm. I think second is really the drug discovery side. Yeah. We announced this summer that we have our first program that's actually now in humans. And, um, and I think in the next five years, we will have a number of programs in humans and potentially even something that's on the market or close to the market. So I think, you know, I, I will be very proud of the 23andMe community when we are able to say at some point that thanks to all of the data yeah. that we contributed, we were able to make an impact on someone's disease. Right. And I think that is going to be an amazing um, milestone for the company. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. And, and so inspiring. Um, because as you said, you know, I think everybody either themselves or, or within their family has someone who has a condition and, um, and, you know, to, to be able to leverage data and, and feel like you're, you're playing a part, um, you know, it may be a small part, but it's still a part in, in kind of shaping, um, hopefully, you know, drugs that can help these conditions is, is really, um, empowering. So, um, so I guess on a, a slightly different note, um, you know, we obviously, you know, Female Founders Fund really, really focuses on highlighting um, women and uh, women who are who are making a difference in, across different industries. So you were one of the few women um, in the healthcare space. You know, I can imagine in 2006, um, there really weren't that many um, who who was who had a vision, who executed, um, and and things have changed quite a bit since then. So. So what was that experience like, you know, whether it was raising capital, hiring the team, um, you know, would, would love to just hear your, your views on that. I came from the, the Wall Street world, hedge fund space, where it was predominantly men. And in some ways, I spent 10 years in a mostly male environment. So I, in some ways, I, I just got used to it. Yeah. Um, and got used to the fact that there's, you know, occasionally they would hold meetings in all male clubs and, um, and I couldn't come in or like there is sort of, again, there'd be a male, a bro culture that I was, you know, you kind of have to assimilate into that. Yep. Um, when we started the company, I, I, my co-founder was, was a woman and in, in some ways like having a female partner was, um, amazing. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, there's somebody like I, I like it, it was, um, you know, it, it was the first time I was able to really like have a, a partner that, um, you know, that again was, was not male. Yeah. And, and it's one thing I've learned over time that, um, too many women or too many men, um, is, you know, um, disrupts the balance. Sure. And really having balance is sort of the optimal culture. Yeah. Um, But in those early days, like I, I, um, you know, I'm really lucky. I found great people to work with and great people to invest. Yeah. 
And I learned again from my Wall Street days that there are um, men, there's women, and there's assholes. <laughs> and I love the it. best thing is to work with men and women. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, and assholes come in all flavors. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have to avoid them. Right. I'm really quick. Like when I when I'm raising capital, um, I'm very quick. Like to me, it's not just me pitching them. I first interview them. Sure. I want to know their backgrounds. I want to know about them. Like I want to hear, like, because you, who you work with is so critical. Yeah. And, um, so I, like I said, I, um, I've been really lucky to work with people who were really supportive. I've never felt, um, you know, uh, that, that I had disadvantages because we were a female led company. And if anything, I, I feel like it's, um, you know, we've been able to attract some amazing talent because we have really a strong balance. Sure. No, that's fantastic. Have you seen, um, have you seen anything change, you know, in the industry? I'm sure, you know, having more women, um, is, is definitely one thing that, that I've seen, you know, over the past eight years, um, in the healthcare space. Um, Mm -hmm. have you, have you seen any evolution on that front? I think I've seen more women, but I haven't, um, I would love to see more, especially in the, um, in the, in the pharma side, drug discovery. Yeah. But ironically, like I have, um, I have a man who, who runs the team, Kenneth, but you know, his, his, his team, like the number that the team right below him, um, is two women. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really proud. Like, again, I think we have, um, we've hired well for that. And I, and I am seeing more women, um, in leadership positions there, I would love to still see more female CEOs Yeah, and especially in the biotech space. Sure. Um, and frankly, like more, it, again, I would like to see more female for more, um, women, but also more, um, more, you know, ethnic diversity. Yeah. That to me is like one of the biggest issues I see right now is the lack of black representation in a senior leadership position in biotech and pharma. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So we're going to move on to the lightning round, um, and these are a couple questions um, more more about just you personally. So, as an entrepreneur, um, if you were to pick another space that you were excited about right now or would consider building a business in, what would it be? Blood testing. Oh, interesting. And why is that? Well, do you like giving blood right now or giving <laughs> blood? No. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things like it's, um, it's a, it's a fascinating space and it's something everyone needs to do, but it's, um, it's a fascinating space. Yeah. Yeah. Who is the celebrity existing or aspirational that you are most excited to call a 23andMe, um, user? Oh, interesting. Um, I, well, I mean, you have all the privacy considerations here. That's so I true. have lots That's of true. people who are, <laughs> but, but I would say like one of my role models yeah. who has come to speak at the company and has talked a lot about 23andMe is Diane von Furstenberg. Oh, great. Um, and I, like, I, I just, I adore her and I, like her sayings, you know, fear is not an option. Yeah. Um, and, um, and just her, her drive to, um, you know, uh, be fearless is, is amazing. Uh, on a lighter note, stressful to be an entrepreneur, 
um, mm -hmm. particularly, you know, um, in, in, with everything that's going on today. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure? How do you relax? My guilty pleasure is I take a lot of photos. Oh, interesting. I have, uh, I had this funny story once where I, I was with Kevin Systrom who started Instagram yeah. and I was like, oh, you know, I have this issue. <laughs> Instagram's not loading that quickly. And he's like, oh, that's, that shouldn't happen. And so then I showed him my phone and he was like, what? You have, he's like, you have quarter of a million pictures on your life. He's like, he's like, you're not just one standard of deviation away from normal. He's like, you're multiple. There's nothing I can do to help you. And so I, I, I walked out. I was like, oh, like I'm really, I'm, I'm, I take a lot of photos. Yeah. yeah. And on your phone too. I have so many, I like, I have a camera on yeah. my phone. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of work I have to spend managing hard drives. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. It's a lot of work. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think we'll close with um, anything you, you want to share, you know, with our listeners, um, any announcements, um, anything around 23andMe or, or any, you know, anything that you're thinking about that, um, that you want our audience to hear. I think that the the stuff I think about for the audience, I think there's an incredible opportunity right now in digital health. I think people should look at the COVID-19, you know, issues that are happening and, and what's the opportunities. Like th there's some amazing companies to start right now because yep. people are at home. And I think because there's this sudden shift in acceptance for digital care yeah, and overwhelming, like, I think the world's going to change. Yeah. And, having a long-term picture of the next 10 years, I think there's some amazing opportunities and almost, you know, I look at like Tesla and like how much Elon's had this vision, like is a totally different vision for the world and whether you can pinpoint when exactly it's going to come. Yeah. There's absolutely this opportunity to create a different healthcare world. So I think a lot about that. And I think about, I see the enthusiasm from our customers and, um, and I see the change now that's happening with COVID-19. And so I would just emphasize to all those people, I think there's a real opportunity to, to take advantage of, like, this is an inflection point. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's great um, advice. Um, last point before we, we close out, where can our listeners find you online? Oh, I am on, um, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. I'm not that, I, I have a, like a different take. Like I try to just, things on Instagram or tweet or tweet when I actually have something more meaningful to say. Um, so I'm not there very often, but I try to put information there occasionally. Yeah. And I, and yeah. And, and I, I think also like trying to use the voice to um, support individuals. Uh, again, I've been very touched by the, the whole black lives movement and, um, and trying to give, you know, amplify voices that I think are important out there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Oh, no, I'm um, thinking about my, um, I'm thinking about my, who would I want? Oh to yeah. So you know, <laughs> again, part of it is there's all kinds of people, like again, all of the various leaders of the past, like it would be so interesting, but I've always had this fascination, the slightly esoteric. <laughs> I remember studying this in college, so I don't have specific names, but women who um, like female leaders in the dark ages oh. have always fascinated me. Okay. Like women, I remember writing this paper about women, like, like 
who, like, how did, how, like, I think about this a lot. Like, how would I have survived? <laughs> um, and so I found like people were either, either you, to have any form of independence, you either had to be a prostitute yep, or you had to be um, incredibly religious, almost to a point of like, you were seen as possessed. And I always used to think about like these women and there's a lot of great books on stories of these women, but like women in the dark ages who um, in some ways rebelled. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, that's a great answer, actually. Um, I love it. Um, mine would be uh, somewhat along those lines, I guess. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. I think she oh, yeah. just, you know, um, what she did and what she went through um, yeah. was was a lot. Um, so anyways. I just find like, it's so, um, I can't remember the name of this one. Like my, actually here. Is it the Good Night Stories for? There's a book called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. Oh, and um, I read it to my daughter. And uh-huh. there's a story of now I have to find it for you. <laughs> um, it's a story of a lesbian pirate from the 1600s. Are you serious? Yeah, and I just like I'm so fascinated by her. Wow. And she hold on now I have to find it. Um, she's she's amazing. Yeah. But like, I want to meet her. <laughs> like, you find it. Want to have her on the podcast? I just like, I just think about like, I think about people who could be like, like to clearly go so against the grain and yeah. to be that strong. Yeah. Um. Uh, is that her? No. Hold on. Now I just have to find it for you. No problem. Yeah, I mean, you really have to. Um, have you know strength of character oh jacot de Lehi. ah she was um she's so yeah her, her picture wow uh, amazing amazing she's, so she's from haiti and then um let's see her mother died her father died not long after so she had to provide a way to protect herself and her brother and she decided to become a pirate and she ended up leading a gang of hundreds of pirates. Oh my god! And, and she, um, they had a secret island, and she she had a girlfriend who was a pirate too. <laughs> Holy shit! She, and, and <laughs> she had, incredible. I mean, it's so. Um, they were two of the most feared pirates in the Caribbean. That's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. So, like, she was born in around in the 1600s. I, I just like I'm kind of fascinated by her. I was yeah. like, I want to be a lesbian pirate in the <laughs> or at least have dinner with her. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know. I just that fortitude. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, no, that's. Um, I love that. I love that answer. Um, I'm sure no one else has that answer. No, I mean it's great. It's great, and I, I know I'm definitely going to look her up after this. So thank you for sharing. Um, it's a good book. I have to say, I think it's a really good book for for kids. For kids, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great suggestion. Um, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The 2% for today's episode featuring Anne Wajiki, CEO and co-founder of 23andMe, the first and only direct-to-consumer DNA test that millions of Americans have used to learn more about their family history and long-lost relatives. Anne is a visionary leader who truly paved the way in redefining the genetic testing industry, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did.